welcome to the podcast, Foundations for Discipleship. This is episode six and the first half of chapter three from the book, Foundations, Bible Truths for Christian Growth. My name is Alan Brace, and I am with Pastor Tim Barr from Tri-City Baptist Church in Blue Springs, Missouri. Pastor Tim, can you uh, begin our time with a word of prayer, especially for those who are mentoring others along this life of discipleship? Sure. Father, we thank you for each person that is taking the time to listen to this podcast so that they can be better equipped to help mentor someone in your word. Lord, may you encourage the mentors for those who are listening in and their learners. I'd ask that you would help them to gain some more insight into how they can take the next step in their walk with you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in our study, we started out uh, with salvation, the basics of salvation, and kind of got into that and, and discussed that. We've, we've talked about eternal security, what, what happens once you are saved. Uh, on this podcast, we are going to talk about our fellowship with God and, and about sin and how that uh, defines our fellowship with God. I think we need to make sure that we're all on the same starting point. How would, how would we define sin in, in, to a believer and to the non-believer? That's a great question. Uh, sin can be defined in multiple ways because there's multiple words for it in both the Old and New Testament. But I think a simple way is to understand it is sin is when we miss the mark morally. It is the breaking of God's commandment, and it is transgressing God's law. It is doing that which God would not do. It is thinking that which God would not think. It is saying that which God would not say. So what, as a believer, uh, and we sin, uh, I, in 1 John 2, 2, God makes that provision for that. Uh, but it talks about two different uh, words there that are sometimes confusing. So, and one of them is advocate and one is propitiation. Can you uh, kind of give us a, a, an easy way to remember the difference between those two? Okay. So an advocate is sometimes described as a lawyer. I'm not sure I love that definition. I think it's far better to view an advocate as one who is a comforting help. The word that we have in first John two, two, where it says we have an advocate with the father, uh, Jesus Christ, the righteous, that same word is used in John 14. Um, and if you're kind of going and looking at it, I believe it's in verse 16. Yeah. Um, John 14, 16, where Jesus says, I will pray the father that he will send you another helper or comforter. And it's the exact same word. So what the Holy Spirit does for us is he is our comforter. He is the one who helps us. And Jesus Christ is the one who helps us with the Father. So in other words, it, let's say we have offended our dad, right? We did something really wrong. So if you got a brother or a sister, you go and say, hey, do you mind talking to dad on my behalf? Um, we Usually have, it's mom. Yeah, that's right. Good mom. Yeah. And boy, if it's mom, you're, you're, you're golden, right? Um, far better that we have Jesus Christ, who is our helper with God the Father. Now, what makes him qualified? 
And the answer is that he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins also for the sins of the whole world. And so the word propitiation is an area where theologians have a significant amount of debate. Some view it as a the sacrifice. It's an expiatory sacrifice. It's a, a, a sacrifice in behalf of something else. Um, others view it as this word is simply the payment. Um, as I take it, I think what you have is that Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he died as the expiatory payment for our sins. And I realize that kind of blends both, but the emphasis is probably more in expiation, less simply on payment. That, uh, you know, sometimes that gets confusing, it, it, what the differences are, and um, and that that's good explanation. That was uh, uh, something that you know, we, we always hear just the lawyer part of it. We really don't care. It don't carry it far enough. I don't think at some points, um, we had in our last chapter in this book, we, we talked about the relationship with God and fellowship with God, um, review for us what those differences are, just a, a thumbnail of what those differences are. Yeah. At the moment that we are born again, we are put into Christ's hand. Christ is in the Father's hand. No one can pluck us out. And Jesus says, I and my Father are one, right? We have a permanent, unbreakable relationship with God. We are his children, and that is the good work of God in our life, not our work. And for that reason, we say that we have a relationship with God. If you think of it like a box, it is an unbroken box. Now, in terms of the relationship, the fellowship, our sin as Christians begins to hinder that. And the way I describe it is so simple as a parent. When my children do something that is wrong and really breaks the rules of my home, that breaks the closeness that we have with one another until we repair that and restore it. But there's nothing my children can do that would ever cause them to be anything less than my children. They're my family, right? So we are in God's family, but we need to also be careful not to do things to offend our Heavenly Father. I think the example that I have used in the past is your siblings. As you get to be an adult, there may be a spat between uh, siblings that separates them for months or years even. And uh, so you've, you've lost fellowship, but you're still siblings. And um, um, that I think the difference is when God, our relationship, our fellowship rather with God is, it's usually one-sided. Well, it is one-sided. God doesn't change. We are the ones that cause the problem and, and it's, it's sin. So how should a Christian view sin? I mean, I, I, I assume the answer is we just assume it's, uh, uh, as a Christian, we need to view sin as something that really causes a rift between us and God. You know, the simple answer is we should view sin the way God does. So a couple things God does. God views sin as evil. He views it as harmful. He views it as destructive, right? And what we often do is we view sin as partly that, but then we see upsides to it. So we'll be like, um, as a Christian, I know it was wrong for me to do this, but I had no other choice. Mm-hmm. Or it was wrong for me to yell at my spouse, but she at least finally heard me. 
Okay. See, we always view that there's like this upside to the con to that. And what God's views in sin is it is always wrong and its consequences are always destructive. So what do you say to the Christian who struggles with sin after, after they get saved? I mean, there are uh, certainly, there are those baggage sins, if you will, those who uh, you are still paying the consequence for. um, But those who, those Christians who struggle with sin after salvation, uh, what do you say to them? I mean, how, how are how is that different than they were before they were saved? See, I think we need to remind ourselves that there is a difference from being an unbeliever and struggling with what the Apostle Paul car- calls carnality in Romans chapter 7. See, carnality, the word carnal, you get the word flesh from it, carne in Spanish, right? right. Um, you know, we all know our carne asada, okay? Um, we could get really fleshly. And so what I would just say is we have to remember that we still have this old nature and we have a body that is cursed by our sin. And when we begin to listen to the impulses of our flesh, and we, and we trust the thoughts of our minds apart from the clear teaching of God and, and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, you actually end up with a conflict, like inside. Um, and, and that is the real world that every Christian goes through. So there are, but as a, as a believer, there are, as a Christian, there are a couple of consequences to that sin, right? And, and does God let us continue in that sin? Well, you know, I I think we have to be very careful to say, I don't know how long God will allow a sinner to continue in sin. But I can say, if we are his children, he will, in fact, discipline us. Now, a lot of people struggle with that because they're like, but I've been doing this sin for the last three weeks. And God hasn't disciplined me. Am I still a Christian? Or I've been doing this sin and struggling with this for the last 20 years. Doesn't that mean I'm not a Christian? Um, And as a parent, I think anyone that's been a parent would say with me, there are times that we forbear for a long time with our children. And then there's times where we jump in right away. Okay. Right. Um, But what I'll say is this, God always brings discipline and chastisement on our on his children because he loves us and he cares for us. He doesn't want to leave us broken. And God is offended by sin. I mean, that's uh, that is clearly stated uh, in in scripture. Um, and there there's also a a and I think it's in Psalms. Yes, uh, page thirty eight in our book, Psalm sixty six eighteen says that there's a consequence of sin that that God will not hear us. Uh, when we, uh, if we hold to that sin, um, and that is, I guess, regard that sin or hold on to it, uh, God does not hear us. Um, and that should motivate us, should it not? I mean, it, it, what, uh, why would we hang on to that if God is, if we know that we're offending God and, and we know that God won't hear us when we, when we call to him? You know, I think it's funny. You don't need, if you're a mentor, you will not have to teach this to your mentoree we will experience this reality emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, when I've talked with people that have just come to saving faith, it's, it's funny that they instinctually know that you cannot pray after you get done a sin. 
So if you go get drunk and right out of your mind, it's not a good time to pray, right? Yep, exactly. They know that in the middle of immorality or pornography problem, it's not a good time to pray. Or if they just got done yelling at their boss, they just don't feel like they can pray. And they'll come to you as a mentor and say, why can't I pray at those moments? And the answer is because God does not hear our prayers when we love sin more than we love him. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, we chose to love our sin more than we chose to love our Heavenly Father. Exactly. Exactly. So God has a, has a couple of goals that he wants to achieve through this discipline. We mentioned that if we are his child, he will discipline us if we are in sin. And what, what motivates God? A couple of things. What, what motivates God to discipline us? And what is he trying to achieve? What is he really trying to achieve uh, through that discipline? Yeah, I think you're looking at verse uh, um, page 39, right? Right. Yeah, there's two goals. Uh, we can share in God's holiness, and we can get the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Um, it's it's interesting that God disciplines us so that we can be more like him. Mm-hmm. And the more that we are like him, the more peace we get because we become more righteous. Right. Um, I, I know it fe- doesn't always feel that way in a world where sin is beginning to pervade our culture, where it feels like the more that I am righteous, the more I'm in conflict with the world around me. But I want to tell you, the most important relationship in our mentorees' lives is not the relationship with the horizontal world. When we become Christians, we are the children of our Heavenly Father. The most important relationship is the one we have with our Heavenly Father. Is it, uh, and that peace manifests itself as sort of a calm in the middle of the storm of what's going on around us on the horizontal level, right? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like, if if you've ever, um, remember, if you can think back to being a kid, maybe you're, you're having like a really rough go of it in junior high, right? You know, your friends don't seem to like you anymore and you can't pass your math exams and and, and you go to school and, and you're the last kid picked in gym class and everything like that. And you feel just totally blown apart. And then all of a sudden when your dad comes and picks you up in the car and says, hey, I just want to go out for ice cream with you because there's nothing I enjoy more than spending time with you, right? At that moment, all the other craziness seems to like find its place. It's not so important because that one relationship with dad can be just so much more important. Honestly, that's what it's like in the Christian life. All the craziness just kind of, it loses its priority as we find our true um, identity and our true enjoyment in knowing our Heavenly Father. And spending, you know, maybe it's the first part of the day or the last part of the day, whatever works for you to spend time in his word gives you that bubble of peace um, and a reminder of who he is and that he is in control. And and I think that that uh, the the by spending time in his word and memorizing his word and, and working hard at memorizing his word gives you the ammunition to to do that throughout the day as well. Yeah, by the way, do you, like, wait till the end of the day to confess all your sins, or do you recommend we do it, like, all the way along the way? I believe, I think that you need to do it as soon as you recognize that you've sinned and yeah, do I, it I th- throughout the day, because yeah. otherwise you've got the whole day to, to chomp on it. 
Yeah, I think too many of our mentorees will try to keep like a mental list of sins, and then they think at the end of the day, that's when I'm going to go confess them. I, I'm with you. We got to we gotta t- teach them. The moment you are aware there's something between you and your Heavenly Father, that's the moment to confess it, to agree with God. By the way, the word confess in the New Testament, it, it's kind of a really long Greek word, but it has this idea of where there's a bunch of words stuck together, and it has the idea of to say the very same thing. It is when we say the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. Boy, the moment you do that, you're saying there's nothing good in it. It was wrong. I'm turning from it. I'm not going back to it. At that moment, it's like the relationship is instantly restored. And we want that all through our day. And we need to be specific about the sin. It isn't just a blanket uh, forgive me, Father, for our, you know, for I have sinned, because that becomes sort of rote, if you will. But I think you need to be specific about the sin so that you you're reminded of what you did. Yeah, I found a prayer once where some where at the end of the day, it's like one of those prayers you pray before you go to bed, and it says, "If I have sinned this day, will you forgive me?" There's no if, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have, but the question is, what? What did we do? When did we do it? How often have we done it? Why have we done it? They're the things that we need to tell our Heavenly Father. Very good. And again, we need to emphasize to those who are mentoring others, Scripture memory is vitally important in, in the fight against sin because our bodies, our, our old man wants to, uh, wants to sin. That's what we're wired to do uh, from birth. So. Yeah, there's two types of verses in that, too. We should emphasize that. There's mm-hmm. certain verses that God uses that define sin for us. There's lists of sins. There are, sometimes we're reading the Bible, examples of people in the Bible that had done horrible sin. And when we see it, the, God uses the Bible to clarify that what we are thinking or doing is wrong, right? Right. But there's another set of verses we need, and they're the ones that remind us of God's character, his mercy, and his grace. They remind us that when we see ourselves as wrong, there's hope. So we really need a balance of both sets of verses memorized and in our hearts. Exactly. Exactly. Um, The other thing that we would like to make sure that you as mentors mentors are doing is praying for your mentoree or your student, if you will, that that is vitally important. It's yeah. we're we're not going to move forward. Uh, they are not going to be what they could be if we don't pray for them. You know, I was back in college, um, and I remember uh, a man came in and was just talking to our pastoral class, and he said, "There's two things that are eternal that you can bring to any relationship. One is God's word, right? Mm-hmm. God's word lasts for all eternity. The second is prayer." When we pray, we are communicating with our Heavenly Father and interceding on behalf of this person. And I think there's something about bringing the eternal to bear. This, if the only thing you're thinking as a mentor is, I got to make sure they get the right answer and the right blanks and that they check off, that they memorize these verses, that's not enough. They need to know that we love them and we're, and we're investing. Um, and remember, the, if you want a long-term relationship with someone where it is biblical and healthy, just start praying for that person every day. I mean, God right. will give you a compassion for them and just will knit your hearts together. 
I uh, just uh, uh, this past weekend spent time with a person who who spends a considerable amount of time discipling other uh, other people, and they are lifelong. They've been years now where where this person's been doing this, and uh, these are lifelong relationships. Uh, this they, they still have people calling them and asking them questions, even though they've moved on and started discipling others. Uh, they keep you know, that relationship keeps going even years down the road, well after they've done with the formal discipleship, if you will. So that's important. Yeah. I remember when I was in, um, graduating from high school, an older lady in the church came up to me and just said, Hey, Tim, um, I know you went to a public school. She said, and four years ago, I heard a sermon and they, and they said that we ought to be praying for people. And the Lord laid on my heart that if you're going to go to public school, that I should be praying for you. And she said, I prayed for you every single day for the last four years. And um, I, I didn't really even hardly know this lady. But when I came back in college, I felt such a connection to her because she continued to pray for me every single day. Um, and I want to encourage you, as we pray for people, you the Lord just uses prayer to bring us together. So I, I agree. If you are a mentor, you need to commit yourself to seriously praying daily for the person that you're mentoring. Exactly. Well, I think we're going to wrap up this uh, podcast with uh, at that point. And next time we will pick up the other part of this chapter three in our book um, uh, on confession of sin. And um, it, it's interesting uh, how many points are need to be made. I believe our book has five headings in there that, that uh, and we've covered the first, I believe, first two of the five headings. So for Pastor Tim, uh, Alan Brace, and uh, we'll look forward to you, uh, hearing from you or seeing you the next time on the podcast. So long. <music>